Good morning. Hear me all right? Good. So I feel like I'm the prima donna to the nations right now. I've got my Starbucks cup and I've got my iPad to preach from. So there's that. Uh, how are we doing this morning? All right. Worship was good. Is anybody feeling the presence during worship? All right. I like that. Um, great. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4 today. Uh, so while you guys are getting there on your mobile device or your, your original handheld, your paperback, um, I feel like I'm supposed to introduce myself. At least that's what my notes tell me. Um, but before we do that, I was wondering if it'd be okay if I try to give a prophetic word to somebody. Is that all right? Now, uh, I know that that can make a lot of people feel awkward, because it is kind of awkward, but so what? Uh, that's not the pastoral response. So, um, so, sir, over here on the right in the, the white and black plaid, can I share a word with you? Yeah, that's okay. Okay, so when you walked in this morning, I felt like the Lord said you have a very strong pastoral gift. Uh, I don't think that it means that you're supposed to do vocational ministry. I feel like it's very much so a ministry in the marketplace. And I think it's very much so a ministry to families. I feel like the Lord has given you the ability to help people see the kingdom in their lives in family. And I, I, the picture I got in my mind was of you uh, with a lot of younger men around you, especially men who didn't have the best upbringing uh, and very at a disadvantage in life. But I see you being a mentor. I see you being a father figure, a big brother figure, and um, just a person who pastors them in the process of life. Does that make sense? Is that encouraging? Good. That's the point of prophecy. Next Saturday at 10 to 12, <laughs> I'm teaching on how to do that in the day-to-day. Cheesy, I know. Um, okay, so introducing myself. I love the prophetic. There you go. Um, I love Jesus. Uh, let's just say this about my relationship with Jesus. He is the most considered person in everything I do in my life. How I interact with my wife, how I make big life decisions, how I move to different cities. He is the number one thing that dictates my life. Okay? Second to that is my wife. Um, I, so second to that, here I am. I am a proud husband. My wife is right over here. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's strong. She's courageous. She is uh, lovely. And she's pregnant. So hey. <laughs> Firstborn on the way. Very excited. Very terrified. Pray for me. Pray for her. Because um, it's getting real, y'all. Um, Third, I have a dog. His name is Chewy. Uh, many people who cheer, or people have taken care of him when I've been on vacation. Um, but he is a boxer. He is a full bred and he, purebred, and he is the best at snuggling. Um, I'm a Thunder fan. I'm a car enthusiast, and I'm a foodie. Yes, uh, for some of us in the room, developing a palate for good food is a hobby. Um, and if you look at my mid-region, you could tell that 
I'm a foodie. Um, I am a business owner, so I'm a realtor. I love helping people in the process of buying a home. And more importantly, why am I here? Why am I on stage? Why do I have a microphone? I don't know. No. Um, I've been in Oklahoma City since 2010. I graduated college uh, with a degree in Christian education, which in the church is great. Outside of the church means nothing. Um, and when I graduated, I came to this point where for like the last year and a half of my college education, I, I was the smart one that took a four-year degree and put it in four and a half years. Um, the only thing I wanted to see was miracles. Uh, I wanted to not just see the Lord heal in Scripture, but I wanted to see the Lord heal in my life. Amen. So in 2010, when I, or in December 2009, I graduated. Uh, January, it was actually the day after MLK in 2010. So in February, it was January? January. Um, I met Brian Blount because uh, he was a pastor, a pastor and elder at a church here in Oklahoma City. Uh, if most of you know anything about Brian Blount, you know that if my desire was to see miracles, that when I met him, my heart was exploding because his testimony is one of miracles and the Lord doing crazy things. So, fast forward three and a half years, I was on staff at a church, uh, Crestwood, what, what moment, was it May or April that we went to New Haven? Beginning of 2013, <laughs> we went to uh, New Haven, Connecticut to do a Sanctuary to Streets conference. I went with Mark, who most of you know, I went with Brian and Charles, and uh, I was there, and it was great. We did some really cool Signs, wonders, healings, prophetic words, all that fun stuff that you do on a ministry trip. We did that. We got back, and of course, you've heard it said many times, and most of you can repeat it better than Charles can at this point, but you know that Charles heard from the Lord, and you know that the Pope's best friend confirmed it, right? <laughs> um, so that's his story. My story wasn't uh, as glamorous. Uh, I was in the shower no, just imagine it's really foggy so you can't see anything. Um, I was in the shower and I felt like the Lord said, go with Charles. And I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, that's a big deal. I'm on staff at a church right now and that is how I get paid. Um, but the Lord said, go with Charles. So immediately I started weeping and I said, okay. Now, mind you, the Thursday before, I had talked with some of the elders at this church, and they're like, hey, we heard these rumors of this church being planted. Are you going to go with them? And I said, no. Hook, line, and sinker, I'm here. I am here, unless the Lord says otherwise. That following Monday, four days later, the Lord said, go with Charles. So then my topic of conversation on Monday was, hey, I think the Lord said to go with Charles, <laughs> where I left at 4 o'clock on Thursday, and I was staying. All that to say, I talked to Charles and I talked to some of the elders there. And Charles said, hey, I asked for a confirmation through the word and through a prophetic word. And I'm like, that sounds like a good recipe to me. So I prayed that. And within 48 hours, I had both confirmations. One was uh, the word through a dream I had. And the other was not the Pope's best friend giving me a prophetic word. It was the crazy guy from the church down the street. Needless to say, I responded 
and I showed up at Crestwood. Within a month, I was raising support for the first time in my life to pay my bills for the next six months to help get this church off the ground. I was not, it was faith because it was crazy, right? So here we are in 2017. We've had our, what, fourth anniversary, and I've been a part of this community the whole time. So that's a little bit about me, right? Great intro. I took 10 minutes to talk about myself, <laughs> right? I like the hand clap to that. Um, so as you, if any of you were here last week, Becky did a phenomenal job teaching on Ephesians 4 and what it meant to be united in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? Then we shared communion together, which is the ultimate expression of unity in the body of Christ. So I'm going to continue in Ephesians 4. Uh, just a few verses afterwards. I, I have more verses than what I'm going to teach from, but I like this passage a lot. So... We're going to read it. I think they have the slide for me. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, and then we'll go from there. So I'm going to read it, and here we go. Starting in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Thank you, Jesus. And he gave gifts to men. Uh, pause. Men here is actually the word anthropoi. It's the Greek word that stands for both men and women. So it's not just men here. It's men and women. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the sin of, son of, not son of God, son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, that's so tiresome, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Rather, wow, that came out weird. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Holy Spirit, we ask that you remain present here, that those that were feeling your presence during worship continue to feel your presence now. Lord, we know that in your presence is in the fullness of life. And we just ask that uh, John 10, 10, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, you came to give life and life abundantly, that those that are fearing, feel, feeling your presence right now feel your life and joy abundantly. Amen. So, as we 
go through this passage, we're going to be focusing on, two, focusing on answering two questions. The first is, what does it mean to speak truth in love? Second to that, how do we grow in it? So I know I read, you know, solid 11 verses, predominantly going to be in verse 15, verse 16. So, in order to figure out what it means to speak truth in love, first we have to figure out, uh, we have to acknowledge that love is something that requires an experiential relationship. So, you can't say, I love this without having an experiential relationship with this. So, from here on, whenever I refer to experiential relationship, I kind of wrote down this as my definition of that. It is when you are willing to commit to a person, people, group, and commit to it at a greater level than Facebook length. Everyone knows what Facebook length is, right? Like, I did evangelism today. I posted a verse on Facebook. <laughs> That's Facebook length. I sent a happy birthday on Facebook. That's Facebook length. Okay, makes sense so far? But rather, instead of Facebook length, you come close enough to experience it. So experiential relationship is coming close enough to experience it. Because only in the process of experience can we have a meaningful relationship and it be built. Does that make sense so far? Great. Cool. Um, so here, for, here are some examples. When I say sky tree tower, show of hands, what does that mean to anyone in this room? Does anyone have an experience with this? Sky tree tower. No one. Great. That's what I was hoping for. Second to this, when I say odd fellows, right, show of hands, if odd fellows means anything to anyone. Okay. There's a foodie in the room. Um, if I say Ivanhoe's, I'm not talking about the children's book. Uh, hand went up, hand went down. Not talking about the children's book. When I say Taylor University, does that mean anything to anyone in this room? Okay, okay, there's a few. Okay, okay. Majority no. So let's rev it up a bit. When I say boomer, show of hands, that means something to somebody in here. Okay? When I say go pokes, yeah, okay, there's the other half. Okay, fight. We're done for the day. Uh, when I say thunder up, flesh of my flesh, people of my people. <laughs> when I say church, yeah, that one's kind of like, mm, right? Some of us are like, yeah, church, and others are like, man, church. Mm. When I say Jesus, yeah, when, you, when I say that, you feel it in your heart, don't you? So this is a little test, but the premise is this. I personally love and thoroughly enjoy Sky Tree Tower. I personally love and thoroughly enjoy Oddfellows, Ivanhoe's, and Taylor University. Taylor University is the school I went to in college. Skytree Tower is the world's tallest tower in Tokyo. Oddfellows is a great brunch place in Dallas in the Bishop Arts District, and it is my favorite brunch. Uh, Ivanhoe's is a ice cream shop in Upland, Indiana that has over 100 variations of shakes and over 100 variations of sundaes, also known as heaven, <laughs> right? So I ask those specific things because you yourselves do not have a relationship 
with any of those. If your relationship started today, it would look like this. You'd pull up Google and the Google SkyTree Tower. Your relationship has started, right? You now have a cognitive understanding of what SkyTree Tower is. But do you have an experiential relationship with it? No. If you go to Tokyo and then you stand at the base of SkyTree Tower and look up, you go higher than you think you should. It's over twice the height, actually three times the height of the Devon Tower. Think about that. Now, not only standing at the base of SkyTree Tower, but when you go up into SkyTree Tower, the observation deck is over twice as high as the Devon Tower. And you're filled with awe, you're filled with wonder, you're filled with this experience in the relationship you have with SkyTree Tower. Same can be said with Oddfellows. You get their brisket, a uh, little breakfast hash with, you know, some brisket in it, and my goodness, you're going to have a heavenly experience. <laughs> Even if you're, like, gluten-free or <laughs> vegan. I mean, you're still having an experience. <laughs> right? But whenever I say something that's more central, local, personal to you, like Boomer or Go Pokes, there's not a single Oklahoman that doesn't have influence of one of those. It stirs an emotional response one way or another. When I say thunder up, Jesus, church, most of those things you're either going to have a sense of love, disgust, or apathy, right? Because at some level you've had an experiential relationship with one of them. If you go to a thunder game, you have a deeper understanding than whenever you just watch it on TV. Everyone agree with that? So what I love about this passage is that Paul, now if you read all of Ephesians, the first three talk about unity, what we're called to, how we're united in Christ. The last three are a lot like, hey, this is how you do life together. This is how you live righteously. Now, you could say, well, Paul, you know, he just kind of gave out information. But on the contrary, he didn't just give out information to a random church. Paul was the founding member of the church in Ephesus. In Acts 19, he was about the region. He was leaving from one part, went through Ephesus. He encountered disciples of John, who were a little behind the times, right? He says, hey, what, what baptism are you a part of? And they said, the baptism of John. And he's like, cool, let me introduce you to the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of repentance. Which again, repentance is not repenting from, well, it's not saying I'm sorry for the old it's changing your way to the kingdom of God, right? Repentance, it's the correction of your thought process to not only acknowledge, focus, but advance the kingdom of God. That's the, that's the baptism of repentance. So he introduces them to that. He lays hands on them. And what happens? They start speaking in tongues and prophesying. The church was birthed by Paul, obviously teamed with the Holy Spirit, but Paul, he was deeply relational with these people. Not only did he start the church, he didn't say, hey, see you later. He actually stayed in Ephesus for two years. And he taught from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day of the week. Probably other than Saturday, which would be their Sabbath. But he taught for five hours a day, which is brilliant because that was the middle of the day. That was the hot part of the day. Everyone would go into get refreshments or shade in that part of the day. 
And he actually, a lot of theologians believe that he actually did business in the morning because he was a tent maker. He was hustling in the morning, and then at the most strategic time of day, he taught and he did signs and wonders. So he's writing this letter not as a Facebook link, which they didn't have Facebook then, obviously. Um, not a Facebook link, but very relational link. He's sending this to friends, right? He had a very um, experiential relationship with them. So much so that in Acts 20, when Paul was troubled and he knew that his life was ending soon, he called the elders of the Ephesian church to him, and they came, and they wept because they knew they wouldn't see him again. So he was very deeply invested. So why did I say all that? First, we have to acknowledge that love happens in experiential relationship. The extent of which you go and experience something is the extent which you can have a relationship. Agreed? Okay, good. You're falling into my plans. <laughs> okay, so again, we're answering the questions. What does it mean to speak truth in love? Which we established that love can't happen outside of an experiential relationship. And how do we grow in it? So, Second, first was that whole thing on love requires relationship. Second, in order to speak truth and love, we have to know what truth and love are. Okay? So in my experience, you can have a conversation with somebody and they're like, I don't know this person, but they need to hear truth. Right? Have you ever heard that? I don't have a relationship with a single Muslim, but they need to hear truth that Jesus is king. But they don't have the experiential relationship with that Muslim or that family in order to have access to share Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm glad you guys are following with me because my biggest concern was that this wouldn't make sense. So we have to find truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None comes to the Father except through me. So I'm very going to, I'm briefly going to say what truth is. Truth is Jesus, Period. Jesus came to represent the Father. He did everything the Father said to do. He followed the Father in every way. And he is the perfect example of what truth is. I'm not going to expand on that. There you go. Now, then we have to say, well, what, okay, well, that's truth. What's love? I would say that love is truth's way of interacting with the earth. You've got Jesus. He is the embodiment of truth. But also, he's the perfect representation of what love is in the earth. So, love is the relationship, the experiential relationship, nonetheless, of Jesus in earth. Jesus shared the love of the Father, revealing Father God every step of the way through obedience, compassion, mercy, healing, prophecy, teaching, empowerment, etc., Scripture says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Now, there's already a relationship here. He was the creator of the world, correct? The expression of God's love in the initial part was that he give, gave the world its greatest gift, which was Jesus. Jesus says this about love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of you might be able to see where we're going here. This, of course, is beautiful. Jesus, of course, explains love beautifully because he is the author of love. 
Um, I reduce it to this. Love is giving to another that which you desire. Okay? Love is giving to another that which you desire. So truth, which is Jesus in love, means that I give Jesus, which is truth, in love the ways that I like to receive love. I give it to them the way I like to receive it. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of? Okay. So let me give you an example. I'm going to make some statements about how I like to be loved. Okay? And each one of us in the room is going to have a different list. And if you actually do it like an inventory of the ways you like to receive love, you'll notice that it's not necessarily the same as mine. So in a loving relationship, I desire to be valued. I desire to be cherished. I desire to be heard, to be understood, to be treated justly, to be helped, to be coached, to be healed, to be whole, and to be joyous. That's not an exhaustive list, but the ways that I like to receive love, this is a good start. So you can see that my standard of love is not the same as your standard of love. Some of you might have that. Some of you might be like, I really like to receive gifts. How many people are gift people? Okay, like three, four, five, okay, six, okay. Uh, Gifts aren't my thing. Words of encouragement, totally my thing. Uh, Anyway, so your list would be different. But to give truth and love in your personal context requires that you give love in the way that you like to receive love. So, if truth is love, truth is Jesus, right? We established that. He is the perfect embodiment of truth. Then to give that in love, not only is one part having experiential relationship with another, it's also giving to them the way that you would like to receive love. So, for example, one of the reasons why I love healing is because I personally desire to be healed, right? If I ever have a headache, I want to be healed. If I have ever backache, I want to be healed. Whenever I go through surgery and my knee was jacked up, I want to be healed. So then that becomes the dictation of my truth, my relationship with Jesus and truth, and how I love others. I want them to be healed. You see that? So, going back to our main questions, what does it mean to speak truth in love? We said that you have to have an experiential relationship in order to have love. We have to know what truth and love are. In short, Jesus is truth and love is how we interact with humanity. So when we put these two together, we share Jesus and what he accomplished with those that are willing to get experiential with it. What he accomplished with those that we are willing to get experiential with it. Okay. So, for example, we share Jesus by sharing experience. Jesus encountered me in a way, set me free of my sin. Now, I was raised in church, so my concept of sin is a whole lot different than someone else's concept of sin. My concept of sin often revolves around, like, religiosity, whereas people who weren't born in church might have, like, addictions, right, or something different. Uh, So I share my experience with people the way that I have experienced Jesus. If I want to be whole, then I share the holiness of Jesus. Holiness, wholeness of Jesus, not holiness. You share that too, but 
If I want to be healed, then I share healing with others. I do not want to be a person that shares truth. Again, truth is Jesus. I don't want to be the person that shares truth without relationship. Because then it's truth without love. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you can have the utmost of every spiritual gift, but if you have love, you have nothing. Does that make sense? I want to be a person that shares truth in the context of a relationship where I'm willing to experience it with them. Okay? I don't want to share at a distance. I don't want my evangelism to revolve around Facebook distance messages, distanced messaging. I just don't. That's not evangelism. You're not committing to that person experiencing Jesus. Paul committed to the 12 in Ephesus to experience Jesus. He's like, hey, this is my call. I'm supposed to make disciples. I want to say, Holy Spirit, come, and whatever happens, happens. Where the chips land, they land. If the Lord doesn't show up, that's one thing. But if he does, it's a completely different thing. Okay? But rather, I want to be a person who shares truth and love in a committed experiential relationship where I am willing to experience with them at the same time what they experience for the first time. So, for example, whenever I do evangelism or whenever I pray for someone in church, I don't know if the prophetic word is going to be accurate. I don't know if the healing is going to happen. But neither do they. There's only one way to find out. I have to commit to the experiential relationship with that person and Jesus simultaneously. I don't know how he's going to show up or not. I don't like it when he doesn't. <laughs> but this is going to be a rabbit trail here. But whenever we get active in our experiencing of Jesus in relationship with others, there's no quicker way of revealing what's in your heart. Think about that. You can say, I read the scripture and I believe in healing and never pray for a person's healing. You have head knowledge. You have truth. There's no activating love in this. Keep in mind, the person who gave the gifts is the person that said, you know what? Equality with, with God in heaven is not something to be grasped. I'm going to be a servant and come to earth and die so that I can share love. So Jesus is willing to die to share love with us. And guess who we're being refined into the image of? Jesus. Which means what? We have to be willing to die to ourselves so that someone else may experience him. And don't just do it once. I tried it that one time. Jesus didn't show up. Okay, so did Jesus say try it once? No, he said go make disciples of every nation. If someone doesn't receive me, go to the next house, right? So we don't give up. <sighs> hmm. And I think, I think the hard part is that the majority of Big C Church, especially in America doesn't even ask you to try. They don't even ask you to go try. They are literally, leaders in the church are literally crippling your experience of Jesus. 
because they're not telling you to get out of the pew, get out of the Sunday experience, and share Jesus with those around you in an experiential relationship. That sucks. That sucks. Can I say that? Can I say sucks? Sucks. Sucks, sucks, sucks. Every time I do that, you guys laugh, so should I go another time? Sam, no, okay, Sam says yes, Emily says no. <laughs> Rolling the dice. No. So, so what? Okay, Matthew, so I hear what you're saying, like, we're supposed to embark on this experiential relationship, and... Um, we're supposed to invite our experience of Jesus and share it with others, and, but I don't know how to do that. Is anybody thinking that right now? No one's thinking that right now. Okay. Okay, one. Thank you. One honest person. Um, well, that, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked, Lena. I'm so glad you asked. Because our first question that we're answering today, what does it mean to speak truth in love? right? Truth is Jesus. Love is two things. One is it's an experiential relationship with those around you. The other is how Jesus interacted with earth. So the way he brought healing all that to earth is our expression of love, okay? Now, answering your question, how do we grow in it? So glad you asked. In Ephesians 4, 8, and 11, says that Jesus gave to his church gifts to men and women. Now, oh, well, I already said that. Um, when you add this to verse 9, where it says that Jesus ascended, descended, and reascended, all that, right? So basically, he was on the throne in heaven, which is the highest seat literally in the entire creation of everything, right? There's nothing higher than the throne that Jesus sits on. There's nothing lower than death, but he came and he died so that he might fill all things. You take that and you put it with, he gave gifts to men and women. What that means is everyone is equipped and has gifts. Everyone. If you're an inch from death or an inch from the seat of the throne of God, you can have gifts and use them. And if you're men or women, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. You're all in the realm of Jesus giving gifts to the church. Makes sense? Does that make sense? Good. So all of you are on the hook. Great. So then the question is, well, Matthew, I don't necessarily know how to share my experiential relationship with another person. Great. We have people who do. I don't know how to share my experiential relationship with that difficult person in my family. Ooh, great. We have people who do. I don't know how to reach my neighborhood. I don't know how to reach my coworkers. I don't know how to work it in whenever it says I can't proselytize at work, but how do I work in this experience where they're probably going to cry or get healed? Like, I can get fired. Well, the good news is there's people in this church, little C church, and there's people in the big C church that know how to and their gifts that have been given to the church. The Lord has given gifts to every stretch of life so that every stretch of life could be reached, right? There are people, I, well, let's get transparent, okay? Transparency is good, especially in the church. 
We often say here that an equipped church changes the world. I also say that a transparent church changes the world. Because if I'm transparent, then you don't have to be perfect. I put on a fancy shirt, but you don't have to. This shows my midriff. Anyway. Um, so, apart from pornography, I have not had addiction in my life. I have not had addiction that has caused me to lose family. Some of us have. There are people in this church that know how to walk people through addiction. I don't have a clue. But I know that they do, right? I know how to help people walk out of religiosity. <sighs> Sign me up. I'll walk you through that. Might include a deliverance or two. <laughs> but that's okay. Jesus did that, right? Um, so, in short, Jesus equips the church. He gives gifts, right? So, at the beginning of this, what verse is it? Okay, should be wrapping up soon. Verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Hey, if you've ever come to Crestwood and wondered why the same person doesn't preach twice in a row, it's because we believe that we teach in plurality, we equip plurality. If we teach in the fivefold, then we equip in the fivefold. I don't go to my doctor and ask him for advice on my car. Right? So let's say the doctor was like a prophet and the car mechanic was like a, a pastor. Right? You're going to have two different approaches to something. But they're both needed. They're both applicable. Right? So... He gives these gifts to the church so that we can equip, right? There are times where you'll listen to a podcast and you're going to get something that you'll never get at Crestwood, right? If you want really good teaching, just like straight up teaching, like expository verse by verse teaching, go get a podcast. There's world-class podcast teaching on expository teaching of the Bible. If you want experiential relationship where we walk out discipleship with you, where you're meeting with Jesus as you're doing the things that Jesus did, you're at the best place. One of the best places in the world. Right? But there's different gifts. And that's cool. I like the different gifts. So, how do we grow? We grow because the Lord has equipped the church to equip each other. Right? Now, why is it so important that we grow in love? I'm going to touch on this very briefly. I have highlighted two reasons why I think it's so important that the church be marked by love and we grow in love intentionally. Love is going after people in an experiential relationship. And love is showing people the way that truth, which is Jesus, interacted with earth. Make sense so far? Okay. So here are two reasons why. In verse 16 of this passage, it says... That when things are working properly, the body builds itself up in love. So if we shut down the prophets or the evangelists, a lot of churches have done that. If we shut them down, then 40% of the church will not be equipped to grow in love. That's scary. You might get really good at knowing the Bible. But the Bible without flesh is kind of like, just like law. It's just kind of like good teaching. There's a reason why the word became flesh in Jesus, to interact with us, okay? So, verse 16, we build ourselves up in love. 
through the giftings that the church is given. Again, that's why here at Crestwood, we create space for gifts to grow up. Because I know that what Charles brings to the table, I don't bring to the table necessarily. What Angie brings to the table, I don't bring to the table. But she does. She needs space to teach people how to walk out similar experiences with Jesus involved. So, reasons why we have to grow in love. First is, straight up, I'll say it like this. I wrote this here. One could say that if the church is not building itself up in love, then we aren't functioning properly and we aren't growing into Christ. That passage says we grow into Christ, which is the head, and love flows to the rest of the body. If we're not growing in love, are we connected with Christ? If you're not growing in love, are you connected with Christ? Now, I'm not saying salva- salvation. I'm not, I'm not even touching that with a 10-foot pole. Robert can touch that. <laughs> I'm talking about sanctification, growing, growing, right? Okay, so second to that, found in John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you go read 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not want, it does not have its own agenda. If you meet people in love, then that means that you listen first. Think about that. An experiential relationship where you're listening first and not telling them what you think they need first? How do you know, if, apart from a word of knowledge, how do you know if a person's hurting? Besides like your eyes see a crane or crutch or something. Apart from a word of knowledge, a person says, dude, you're praying on a Sunday, right? You're on ministry team. Person comes up, I have excruciating back pain. I have sciatica going down my, my leg. If they don't tell you that, how do you know? They're willing, if someone's willing to come to you to create a platform for you to lead them to an experiential relationship with Jesus, take it. Take it, take it, take it. And if you don't take it, the first thing you need to be doing is saying, Jesus, don't let those, those opportunities pass me next time. Fill me with faith. Fill me with boldness. You don't need boldness unless you're doing something. Right? You could be in a prayer room all day for 24-7 praying for boldness and boldness and boldness and boldness. Walk out of the room, a person approaches you in Walmart, asks for money, and you're like, they, ha- they have a-, a limp, and you don't pray for them, your 24 hours of prayer were worthless. That hurt. <laughs> Brian says faith is spelled R-A-S-K. John Wimber says that. Charles says that. Anyone in the vineyard says it and calls it their own. It's spelled R-I-S-K. Unless you put the risk in the process, people are going to miss out on experiencing Jesus. And contrary to popular belief, your Jesus post on Facebook isn't going to lead them to Jesus. (laughs) Though the Lord is so big that it could, well, it would be a very small percentage that it works. (laughs) Okay. So highest and best use of your time. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, so with this in mind, 
I think we've answered our two questions. What does it mean to speak truth in love? At this time, you've heard me say it probably 10 times. Truth is Jesus. Love is how he interacts with the world. Love is also an experiential relationship where you interact with those around you and you experience them and give them voice and give them the ability to be heard, right? And how do we grow in it? Well, if you don't know, find someone who does know, right? He, the, the Lord has given gifts so that people can grow in what they don't know. How many of the 12 disciples didn't know how to do evangelism when they met Jesus? How did they learn how to do evangelism? They followed Jesus in an experiential relationship. So, with that in mind, if you are on the ministry team, please come on down. It is 11.53. If you have kiddos, go get them. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to sit here and like, yeah, come on up. We're going to sit here and we're actually going to invite the Lord to come and do an experiential relationship with us. And what I mean by that is if you've never encountered or experienced the Lord outside of Scripture, we want to pray with you. Let your training begin now. <laughs> and if anyone else wants to come and pray for people, Rachel Koval. Laura, Laura Bauer, Charles Bellow, Sam, Sam Cockrell, Adrian Peterson. No. <laughs> uh, great. So get your kids if you have them. I don't have mine yet. It's in the mail. And uh, we're just going to pray for a second. I'm going to pray that if you're in your seat, that the Lord will come and experience you, come and establish a relationship if you want prayer and you want, you know, you want to, you, you need a prophetic word or you need some encouragement and uh, come get it, you know. We have people on the team who are willing to ask the Lord for a prophetic word for you. That's why they're here. They love that. So Jesus, thank you so much that you came from heaven to earth to let us experience the goodness of God, that you tore the veil, like they said in worship, so that we could walk freely in to experience you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come. And uh, it feels like there might be some of us that feel like there's like history negates or disqualifies me from encountering the goodness of God. That's a lie. Come get prayer. Some of you, you might be feeling a warmth on your body. That's just the presence resting on you. If that's you, come get prayer. Some of you have not been healed and you've gotten prayer before and it's distorting the way that you view a good father come get prayer some of you are in transition uh, uncharted territory and the, the thing that's coming to mind is that you don't know how to trust the Lord in a, a season like this if that's you come get prayer 
But Jesus, we do. We thank you so much for everything. We thank you for your gifts to the church. We thank you that we have to rely on each other to experience and grow in the fullness of you. And we thank you for your presence and your spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.